If you have your Bibles this morning, I turn your attention to Genesis chapter 43, and we begin reading in verse 1, uh, Genesis chapter 43, and reading from verse 1 to verse 9, Genesis chapter 43, and beginning in verse 1. And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. This is referring to Jacob and his uh, sons. They don't live in Egypt, but they are um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a group that God has his hand upon. And uh, they have to travel quite a ways because of the famine that's in all the land. Only Egypt has, has grain, has corn. And so uh, after they had already gone and and been able to buy some uh, corn. They had eaten it all up, and, and their father says, it's time to go back to Egypt and buy some more food. Verse 3, And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest against us. He's referring now to the one that everybody had to go before to buy corn and to buy grain, the governor. He was in charge of all of this. They didn't realize it was actually their brother Joseph that they had sold um, into slavery because of jealousy when he was a young man. They didn't realize that at, at, at this time. But he says, the man, referring to Joseph, did solemnly protest unto us, saying, ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Their, their youngest brother, Benjamin, had not come with them. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. So Judah, one of the older brothers, is saying to his dad, we can't go back to Egypt and get food unless you allow us to bring Benjamin. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel, referring to Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. Israel said, wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye yet had a brother? In other words, why would you even tell him you had another brother? And they said, well, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? We told him according to the tenor of these words, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down? He asked us straight up, Dad, and we just told him we were honest with him. How did we know that man? He was going to tell us we got to bring our younger brother back. Verse 8, and Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me. And we will arise and go that we may live. I mean, if nobody goes Egypt and gets corn, nobody's going to live because of the famine. And not die. Both we and thou and also our little ones. In other words, if we don't go back, nobody's going to make it. I will be surety for him. Or I will be a guarantee for him. I'll be collateral for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee then let me bear the blame forever. Judah says, send him, put him in my care, and you can hold me responsible that I will bring him back to you, Dad. And I want to uh, speak this morning from uh, the verse that just jumped out in my mind as I was reading uh, this this account recently, and and I'm sure even some of the services that we have been in in uh, the Youth Congress in St. Louis uh, have also contributed to this line of thinking. But I do believe that I have a word for somebody here this morning. 
Verse 3 is where we want to take our text. The man did solemnly protest unto us. He objected. He protested. You know what the word protest means. He objected. He, he took issue. And I want to talk this morning on this subject, the king's protest. The king's protest. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. The story of Joseph in Scripture is powerful, uh, not only in the lessons that we learn about forgiveness and mercy, uh, which is an amazing story uh, when you study uh, Genesis uh, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45. The, the story is, is a powerful story. Uh, forgiveness is a powerful principle that, that we learn from Scripture, and it makes such a difference in our lives, uh, even in counseling, whether it be families or whether it be uh, marriages. Uh, forgiveness is such a vital part of everything that we do. And the story of Joseph is such a powerful Scripture. Uh, it's a powerful story. It's not a fictional story. It's a true story. But it has within it a typology and a foreshadowing of uh, where we are today and what we uh, know in terms of how we receive salvation for our soul uh, in this 21st century. We start by having an understanding that Joseph is a type of Christ. He was betrayed and sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. Of course, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver uh, by also his brother, not his natural brother, but Judas was uh, his brother in the Lord. And so, you know, we see that similarity in that they were both betrayed uh, by their brothers. Um, Joseph was falsely accused in Potiphar's house. Jesus was uh, falsely accused. There's no record uh, in Scripture of Joseph ever sinning. Uh, the great men and women of the Bible we read about, we we read uh, the transparency of Scripture and how that uh, they were not perfect individual. We know Moses had challenges. We know that uh, David uh, failed morally. There's uh, many accounts in Scripture of people, uh, even the Apostle Peter that we read about in the book of Acts that proclaimed the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Uh, even Peter had some challenges where he would react quickly. He was very impulsive and, and uh, he would then have to be corrected by the Lord. So uh, it's interesting. I don't think scripture would hide the fact that if indeed Joseph was uh, a person that had sin in his life, I believe that it would be recorded. But there's no record of it. Uh, we, we see that he showed mercy when he had every right not to show mercy. And certainly uh, we know that this is what Calvary was all about. The dream that Pharaoh had that, that could not be interpreted by all of the magicians and the, the wizards of Egypt uh, was really what sprung Joseph out of jail, uh, who was still in jail, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was the captain of the guard of the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time in the whole world. And uh, and Joseph was a prisoner. He was a prisoner that had been forgotten by some of the other prisoners that said when they were restored back to Pharaoh's house, they would remember him, and they quickly forgot him. And so Joseph has had a life of betrayal by his brothers, betrayal by his employer's uh, wife, betrayal by fellow prisoners. But aren't you thankful that God never betrayed him? 
Oh, my friend, it doesn't matter what people do. God is always going to be a faithful God. You could have been betrayed by a spouse. You could have been betrayed by an employer. You could have been betrayed by a friend. You could have been even betrayed by a parent. But God is a faithful friend. He will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thankful for that. And so at this point in time, they remembered, the butler remembered. And so they uh, said, there is, oh, Pharaoh, a man that's in a prison. And he has the gift of interpretation of dreams. He will tell you what your dream means. Because Pharaoh had this dream and he couldn't find out what it meant. And it bothered him. He couldn't get over it. And so they had to go find a man that had a relationship with God to interpret the dream. And so they called on Joseph. Let me just stop and say this. A man or woman who has a relationship with God is a valuable asset in any community and in any country. Ladies and gentlemen, people may not put accolades on you. They may not give you trophies and ribbons like we saw these Bible quizzers hosting up here. They may not, you know, say, oh, you know, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful at work. But when they're in trouble, they're going to look for somebody they know has got a prayer life. Somebody that knows how to get a hold of the throne of God. Somebody that can get a hold of God. Somebody that's got a relationship with God. I'm here to tell you, there may be some dark days ahead of us, but a man or a woman that is a righteous man or woman that knows how to get a hold of God, I'm going to tell you what, you are valuable. The dream that Pharaoh had was a very interesting dream. He dreamed this dream of seven fat and well-nourished cows that were in the Nile River that came up out of the Nile River and got up on the meadows of the banks of the river and they started grazing. And then seven skinny malnutrition cows came up. Uh, out of the river, the Nile River, of course, that big main river that goes down through Egypt. And uh, they got up on the grass and they ate the seven fat cows. And uh, they couldn't quite figure out what that meant. And then in similar fashion, Pharaoh had a dream about these seven ears of corn that were fat and healthy. And then they were consumed by seven thin ears of corn. And so he tells uh, this dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, well, the dreams are one. And here's what they mean. There's going to be seven good years that are going to then be followed by seven years of famine. There's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years of harvest. But then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And here's what we need to do. During the seven years of plenty, we need to store up and we need to prepare for it. And then when there's seven years of famine, we'll be able to not only feed our own people, but we'll be able to feed the nations of the world because we will have prepared ahead of time. Can I tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, it makes sense to live this life in preparation for eternity. I said it makes sense to live this life in preparation for eternity. Oh, I know you can live for the here and now, but you know what? That's an empty way to live life. Uh, you may think, I'm just going to try to get everything I can out of life and, and live to the fullest. But oh, my friend, when you lay up treasures in heaven, hallelujah, when you say, I'm going to put the word of God in my heart, I'm going to live this life so that one day when I take my last breath, I can know that there is a heaven to gain and that the Lord is going to come and restore and renew and resurrect me. It's going to all be worth it one day. And so Pharaoh said, well, you're the man to do it. God's given you the vision. God's given you the dream, the interpretation of the dream, rather. And so I'm going to put you in charge. You're going to be just like me. The Bible said that Pharaoh was the king, but he made Joseph as the king. He said he's going to have 
uh, power uh, just like me. In fact, later on in Scripture, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he says that I became the father to Pharaoh. He literally became his spiritual advisor. I'm going to tell you what, my friend. God can promote you. You may feel like you've been treated wrong. You may feel like you've been done wrong. But I'm going to tell you something. God has the final say. Yes, he does. I said God has the final say. And so then Joseph is promoted and then all that we read about in Scripture gives us an example of what it is when God can turn the tables. And he can turn the tables. The famine in the land is a type of sin. And at first it looks like it's going to be fun and it's going to be fulfilling. You know, you got those those seven years of plenty. And sin at first appears to be uh, very rewarding and fulfilling. But sin is very temporary uh, in its fun. It's, it, 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 it exacts a heavy price. The Bible refers to it as the wages of sin. The wages of sin. And so uh, after uh, you have sowed your wild oats and you have gone through uh, what the world has to offer, I pray to God you'd never have to even go out there and experience any of it. But uh, many, many people come out of a world of sin realizing that they are hungry and that they are weary, they're suffering and hurting because of the pain and the, the destitute nature of sin. And so that's what happens. It literally is a famine. We are living in a spiritual famine. Uh, Brother Chris Green preached on Friday night about how there has been a spiritual drought for three and a half years uh, ever since COVID hit. And he said, I travel all over. Of course, you know Brother Chris Green. He preaches here a lot. But he said, I feel like the hun- that the hunger of this nation there's been a drought a spiritual drought ever since covid but he said the drought is over tonight and in that dome i saw 35,000 young people begin to worship and pray and glorify god i'm going to tell you what folks there is a spiritual hunger that is in this world oh thank you jesus uh, i'm glad to know hallelujah that the lord has stored up blessings he has stored up hallelujah what you and i need you don't have to live this life worried and wondering about whether or not you're going to make it to heaven you can have a god hallelujah that will bless you open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing wrap his arms of love around you give you peace in the midst of the storm and so the famine that we read about in this story is is really what sin uh, is all about joseph is put in charge of the harvest he becomes the Lord of the harvest. The Bible says uh, that when Jesus conquered death as God manifested in the flesh, that he led captivity captive. I want to read a few verses to you from Ephesians 4. Verse 4 says there's one body and one spirit. Do you remember how Joseph told Pharaoh that the, both the dreams are one dream? There's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now what what does that mean that he led captivity captive? That means that when the Lord went through the pain and the suffering of Calvary, He ascended on high. You may look at that with a natural eye and say, uh, that's a defeat. But my friend, uh, what appears to be a defeat in the natural world is oftentimes a victory in the spirit world. 
and he led captivity captive. In other words, everything that would try to hold you captive, Jesus Christ turned the tables and the the captors became captive. He led captivity captive. Oh, hallelujah. And gave gifts unto men. Oh, my friend, when the Lord, hallelujah, when the Lord comes into your life, you don't have to live as a slave. You don't have to live in bondage to sin any longer. It doesn't matter if it's an addiction of the flesh, if it's a thought, an attitude, or it's some crisis in your past. It does not have to control you any longer. There's a God who sets you free verse 9 now that he ascended what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth he he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers why for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. When the Lord, when he conquered death, hell, and the grave, he gave gifts to the church. He didn't come empty-handed. It wasn't a victory that was going to be somehow exclusive only to him. Oh, no, my friend. It was a victory that was going to be for the benefit of humanity. That's why any man, woman, boy, or girl, I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you were raised in Sunday school or not. You may have had parents that were alcoholics or parents that were drug addicts. You say, oh, but you don't know everything thing in my past. Oh, my friend, I don't have to know everything in your past. I, I know a God that's got your future. I know a God that can make everything brand new again. He's got gifts for you. He's been storing up these gifts for a while. Joseph stored up the grain for seven years. And then when the famine hit, he sold it to the Egyptians. But then he sold it to the whole world. They were so wise. Joseph used of God. God gave him wisdom. They store up so much corn and grain for those seven years of plenty that they not only could feed their own people, but they could feed the rest of the world as well. This, I believe, is a clear instruction to the church that we should be reaching beyond our own borders and reach for the world around us. What God has given us is not for us just to sit in a church and get fat and happy on it. What God has given us is to be taken to the whole world. The storehouses that we have are not just for us. The Bible talks about that in Egypt, how they brought their grain into the storehouse. And the Bible in Malachi describes the church as the storehouse. When the brothers came to Egypt to buy grain, they did not recognize that the governor of the feast was their brother. He was in charge of the harvest. Everyone had to come before him to get permission to buy the grain that was stored up. They didn't realize it, but the grain, what they needed was in the storehouses of Egypt. This is what the church is. What this world needs is what is in this church. What the world needs is not Disney World. I know there's millions of people that will go there every year and spend a lot of money, but they go home with their same problems. Only now they have more problems because they're in debt by going to Disney World. The entertainment of this world does not satisfy your soul. 
It's a temporary drug, but you're still left with all your same problems and issues. But there is a storehouse. Oh, hallelujah. There is a place where mercy is. Where grace runs like a river. Where the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, that's why David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Come on, there's a table spread where the saints of God are fed. Come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. The storehouse is where you find rest for your soul. It's where you're refreshed. This story also has the principles of tithing in it. In one of their visits, a silver cup is put in one of their bags of grain as a test. The silver cup belonged to the king. It belonged to Joseph. But he gave it to them temporarily to see if they would return it. They had brought money from their dad, Jacob. But that money was given voluntarily as a gift so they would have favor with the king. But this silver cup that was put in their uh, bag, it belonged to the king. And it was a test to see if it would be returned. They brought gifts from home. This is really what free will offerings are. They brought it for the king. But the cup was a symbol of tithing because it belonged to the king. And that's why the Bible says that when we pay tithes, we return. It's not something that we give. It's something that we return. It's the silver cup. It belongs to God in the first place. You say, that's strong language. It's what the Bible says. And in Malachi, when the Israelites wanted to know why they had gone through so many things, they, the prophet said, it's because you've robbed God. They said, how have we robbed God? He said, you robbed God in tithes and offerings because you haven't returned to God what belongs to God. The top 10%, the first fruits belongs to God. That's why a man or a woman that will fulfill that principle, even if they don't come to church, even if they're not baptized in Jesus' name, God will bless them in their finances. You don't get salvation from paying tithes, uh, but you'll get blessings in this life from paying tithes because it is a biblical principle. Oh, my friend, God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. And so that even that principle is here. The story is full of foreshadowing. It was a, it was a template of what the Messiah would be for each of us. But one of the interesting aspects of this story is when Joseph required uh, that the brothers bring back their younger brother if they wanted to buy any more grain. He says in no uncertain terms, don't come back unless... You bring your brother. Don't come before me by yourself. Bring Benjamin with you. When the story is shared with their father, Jacob is beside himself. He loved Joseph and he loved Benjamin because they were the only sons of his wife, Rachel, who had died in childbirth of Benjamin. And he thought he had already lost Joseph. And the thought that he would lose Benjamin was more than he could bear. Jacob is a type of Israel. In fact, his name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Joseph is a type of Christ that came from Jewish lineage. Jesus was Jewish in nationality. But there is another son from the same mother. That son is the son of promise. That son is the spiritual promise. Benjamin is the tribe that Paul came from. And Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul describes this lineage in the book of Romans by saying that he was the wild olive branch 
that was grafted in. <laughs> the wild olive branch that was grafted in. He represented that second brother, that second testament, that second act of grace. Uh, Joseph, as a type of Christ, was linked to this brother of mercy as a foreshadowing of what was to come. And Benjamin was that brother that we work with. Benjamin is that friend at school. Benjamin is that lost sheep of the house of Israel. Benjamin is that second son. Benjamin is that prodigal son that had gone out and spent his inheritance on wild living. In fact, when you read in Genesis 49 about the blessing of Jacob that he gave to his sons, uh, he describes Benjamin, uh, the one that he loved. You would think now would come accolades like you've never heard. But instead, he describes Benjamin as a ravenous wolf. A ravenous wolf. The youngest of all the brothers. And now, this governor, this king in Egypt, that they don't realize is their brother Joseph, is saying, I want Benjamin. I want you to bring Benjamin back to the throne room. I want you to bring the hurting. I want you to bring the drug addict. I want Benjamin. I want the son that is ravenous. The one that appears to be the furthest from salvation. Do you understand the typology here? The Lord of the harvest, the King of kings, is telling us, I want you to bring Benjamin when you come into my presence. The church is not for perfect people. The church is not just for the sons of obedience. The church is for the Benjamins. The church is for the lost tribe of Israel. The church is for those that are hurting, that don't know how to find their way home. But there is a God that is saying, I want Benjamin! How long are we going to continue to come to church without bringing our lost friends with us? How many times are we going to keep going into the presence of God and not bring Benjamin with us? I feel in the Holy Ghost that the Lord of the harvest is saying, I don't want you to come back unless you bring Benjamin! Oh, my friend, I don't know how much longer we have before the Lord comes back. But the Lord is going to say to you and I, Did you bring Benjamin? Did you win somebody to me? Did you bring somebody that was hurting? Somebody that maybe wasn't raised in church? Somebody that's suffering from the addictions of this world? When Jacob steps in and says, I can't send him. Judah. Judah. He says, let the lad go. With me. Verse 8. And Judah said unto Israel his father. Send the lad with me. And we will arise and go. That we may live and not die. Both we and thou. And also our little ones. Do you remember what Judah means? Praise. Praise is going to walk hand in hand. With the promise. Praise says, I'll be the surety. I'll be the guarantee. I don't see Benjamin coming yet. But praise has gone before. And praise is my guarantee that my lost son is coming home. So don't judge me if I praise God in church. Don't judge me if I lift up my voice. I'm Judah. 
I'm worshiping God as a guarantee that one day my lost son, my lost daughter is going to find their way back to an altar. And so I'm going to go ahead and praise Him now as a guarantee. Oh, you ought to lift your voice. You ought to magnify God. You see, the enemy thought he had him. But the king of kings has filed a protest. And when heaven protests, you better get ready. The king has protested about you coming to the storehouse and not bringing your brother. We got to bring somebody with us when we go. Too long we've come before the king and asked for blessings with empty arms. Too often we've come to praise, but we come to praise without bringing a Benjamin. Judah is a frequent visitor, but the king is requiring Judah to bring Benjamin. I'm thankful that we gather together and praise God. I'm thankful for 34,000 young people that gathered together to worship God. But I felt a conviction of the Holy Ghost as Brother Chris Green was preaching on Friday night. That we are apostolics. And apostolics means to be sent. The authority that we have is to go and to speak. We were not called to just gather in our concaves and to worship God and to hear ourselves magnify Him alone. Somebody's got to bring a Benjamin. Somebody's got to reach for a Benjamin. This past week and a half, we were in St. Louis, as we mentioned, for this Bible quiz tournament. And then we were there for the Youth Congress where all these young people were worshiping the Lord. But on that last night, with that dome filled with Judas, we felt in the Holy Ghost that responsibility to go. We're not just saved to gather and to worship. We were saved to be ambassadors. We were saved to be apostolics. I found myself looking around and trying to find a Benjamin that I could worship with. And as I looked around the floor of that auditorium, I found people that didn't look like we did. People that seemed uncomfortable. I was drawn to those people because I felt in the Holy Ghost that if I'm going to go before the throne room, I need to bring a Benjamin with me. Where is Benjamin? Bring Benjamin! You say, oh, I don't think they'd ever want to come to the house of God. I've seen them. I've been, I, I've been with them. I, I, I mean, I, I've seen the way they live. And it, that you don't have any idea what's going on in that heart. Don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what's going on in their innermost being. You don't know what they're suffering with. The trials and the troubles of life. Oh, my friend, we've got to keep Benjamin coming to the house of God. We've got to keep bringing him before the Lord of the harvest. There is a king that is saying, I want Benjamin. Sometimes we keep Benjamin at home because we're afraid. We're afraid that our friend will make fun of us. We're afraid that we will be rejected. We're afraid that Benjamin will say no. We're afraid that others at the church will hurt Benjamin. So we don't bring Benjamin. But let me tell you something today. There's no better place for you to bring Benjamin 
than to take him or her before the king to bring him into the house of God. Let me tell you what happened when Benjamin got there. First of all, Benjamin got more food than everybody else. You know, if you've only been here once or twice or even three times at Eastwind, you can go right back here to the Connections Cafe and there's free gifts for you. And sometimes people that have been in church for 25 years say, how come we're not getting a free gift? <laughs> We've been coming for a while now, Pastor, paying our tithes, paying our offerings. And then somebody just come up off the street, they go back there and get them a big gift. Pastor goes back there and shakes his hand. I hadn't shook his hand in six weeks. I don't know anybody saying that. I just can only imagine. But uh, you can sometimes feel like, just like that older brother did. How come we're having a big feast for the prodigal coming home? I've stayed here and been faithful. Your youngest son, he's over there sowing his wild oats, ran through all his money. Now he comes limping back home. And we're going to have a holiday. We're going to kill the fatted calf, the one I've been taking care of. We're going to kill him now and have a feast for the younger son. And the father had to go out and say to his eldest son, but all that I have is yours. you got an inheritance, but we're going to celebrate your younger son, your younger brother. We're going to celebrate the Benjamin that's coming home. Oh, my friend, God, help us that we don't just become some sort of a professional religion and we're only comfortable with our four and no more. We will get away from what the mandate of the church is all about. It's about bringing Benjamins. It's about bringing your friends and your neighbors. It's about introducing people to the presence of God. Benjamin got more food than everybody else. In fact, the Bible says five times as much. The Lord of the harvest, Joseph said, everybody's going to eat at my table tonight. Oh, now here's something that's oftentimes lost. You will be blessed when you bring Benjamin. That extra blessing is going to spill over. I've often told people the next best thing to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is to be praying with somebody that receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's a residual effect. There's a splashover effect. There's a proximity blessing that comes by just being around others. So don't let this altar become a strange place for you. I don't care how long you've been in church. This altar ought to be a place that you're drawn to. Because that's where the Benjamins are. That's where the blessings are. That's where there's a new birth experience that's happening. And you say, but I've had the Holy Ghost for 50 years. Oh, but when you pray with somebody, that's being healed. That's being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's why I like these outdoor crusades when we go out and we go into high schools and we start to have church. You know why? It's something about when the body of Christ says, hey, we're going to reach out into the community. I'm thankful for Sister Hattie and all that work with the Hands for Healing ministry because it's part of what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be bringing Benjamin. That extra blessing will spill over when you bring Benjamin. When the silver cup that was planted in Benjamin's bag was brought by the guards, they brought all the brothers before Joseph. And Joseph said, you're all free to go, but I'm going to keep the lad because the silver cup was found in his bag. 
You know why the silver cup was found in his bag? Because Joseph had told his guards to plant it in his bag. This was a test to see if they were going to treat Benjamin the way they had treated him. And Judah steps up and says, my Lord. And he says this, you're the same as Pharaoh. He was saying, you have the authority to bind us or to free us. He says, my Lord, it will kill our father if Benjamin does not return. Keep me instead. My father's already grieved over the loss of his other son. He'll not be able to survive the loss of Benjamin. Take me instead. And when Judah said this, Joseph couldn't contain himself anymore. He removed everybody from the room except his brothers. And the Bible says he wept. He says, I am Joseph. God sent me ahead to preserve you. You may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost today. You may not understand why you're in the situation you're in. Can I tell you that God sent you ahead? You're going to be the one that preserves your family. You're going to be the voice that brings salvation to your home. I know you may be suffering adversity now, but God, hallelujah, is going to use you to be that vessel in your family. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was sent ahead to preserve us. Yes, he's the king. And yes, he has the power to bind or to free us. Yes, he's the son of God, but he's also the mighty God in Christ. Just as the revelation of the identity was made known to the brothers, so is Jesus revealing his identity to hungry hearts. Oh, my friend, it's happening all over the world. As people by the thousands are being baptized in the name of Jesus, entire churches, congregations are getting the revelation of who Jesus is. Just like the brothers got the revelation that this is Joseph. In fact, he says to his brothers, come close, come near. And he repeats himself again, I am Joseph. At first they were just stunned. The Bible said they couldn't even speak. And then he said, come close, come near. Oh, I feel like God is saying that to us. Come close. I want you to see who I am. I want you to see that I'm the one, hallelujah, that's going to protect you. I'm the one that's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm the one that's been at work this whole time. Come close. Come near. The Bible says that they were troubled at his presence. And this is what happens when you see the glory of God. Isaiah had a similar experience when he saw the glory of God. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Joseph said, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Those two words, you can apply it to any situation in your life. Man did this, you've experienced that, but God. He says, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt, but God. Hallelujah. Oh, what a good God we serve. Would you stand to your feet this morning? The Bible tells us that Joseph sends 20 donkeys back and wagons loaded with corn and meal and meat. The brothers all get new clothes. 
But Benjamin gets 300 pieces of silver. 300. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. But Benjamin is going home with pockets full. He may have had a donkey just for his treasure. 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. The brothers are all looking good in the mirrors with their new suits. Till here comes Benjamin. He's got more clothes than he can carry. He got some guy following him with a little wagon full of gold coins. Silver coins. Say, why? Why? It's a type of God's love for the lost. So many people, we fear coming to an altar. Because the enemy talks them out of it. You're never going to fit in at that church. You're never going to fit in. Those people, you see the way they dress, they're so holy. There's no way I could live like that. Oh, you don't understand the blessing that God has stored up for you. He will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Because the blessings flow from bringing Benjamin to the throne room. The struggle produces strength. God is asking us, literally protesting us coming with no Benjamins. Where's your brother? Where is your brother? It's the same question that he asked Cain. Where's your brother? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. We are our brother's keeper. We're going to be responsible for the people God's put in the workplace near us. You say, oh, I don't think they're hungry for God. Oh, yeah, but you remember the questions they were asking even this past week. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a spiritual drought in the land. But people are hungry. You and I are here in the storehouse. Come on, bring Benjamin. There's enough food. There's enough grace. There's enough mercy. There's enough forgiveness. God desires every single human being. He died for everybody. It doesn't matter what your background is. God has a blessing for you. I wonder now across this building, every eye is closed, every head is bowed. I want to just pray right now. I feel the Lord speaking to our hearts. Lord, I present to you this beautiful congregation of people. Congregation of Judas and Joseph's, Benjamin's. We're all here. You're the common denominator that's brought us together. And Lord, here we are now. You have blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. (laughs) But you're asking us now, Lord, if we would come into your presence by bringing that brother, by bringing that hurt, that pain, that suffering, those things that Benjamin represents, Lord. You never required us to stay away from you because we were not perfect people. You said for us to come in our weariness, to come in our heaviness. To come in our hurting and our sorrow. And that you would give us rest. I pray now, Lord, as we come once again into your throne room. As we have already felt your presence. I pray that there would be a conviction in our heart. To say, Lord, I'm not going to come empty handed. I'm going to keep on worshiping you. And I'm going to bring my brother with me. I'm asking you, God, this week to lead somebody into my life. That I can witness to about Jesus Christ. 
I'm asking you, Lord, right now to open up an opportunity where I can share a word with my family members. I know, God, you're calling them. I know it's your desire for them to be saved. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to just enjoy the blessings of God single-handedly. I'm going to go ahead and begin to praise you in advance for what I know you're going to do. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, Amen. I received that word. I received that word. I received that word. Hallelujah. 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 I wonder how many of you would step out from where you're standing right now. Would you come and gather in this altar? Now I want you to bring a praise with you. You may not have a chance to go get a Benjamin, but just go ahead, Judah. Just come on down. Come on, make up your mind right now. I'm going to commit to my heavenly father. Hallelujah. Benjamin may not be here yet, but he's coming. Hallelujah. And I'm going to go ahead and step out in faith and I'm going to be a guarantee with my praise. Come on. uh, I'm going to begin to believe right now that God's going to save my unsafe spouse. God's going to save my family members. Hallelujah. That's it. Make your way down. You can't fit down here in the altar. Just begin to praise him where you're standing. That's okay. All over this place. Begin to lift up your hands. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I know there's only five months left of this year. But Lord, I'm going to win somebody to the Lord this year. Oh, my. 